We are in John chapter 5. We're going to look at John chapters 5 through 10 this morning, and we are continuing. It's been two weeks of a pause, but we're continuing our journey to life in the gospel of John. Jesus has life on offer, but the kind of life and the way to receive that life is not as the world would expect. We all know that expectations matter, right? The expectations we have affect the way we experience reality. It doesn't change reality, but the expectations we have does change how we experience reality, especially if reality runs contrary to what we expected it to be. Let's just bring it down to the modern-day sports level. Here it is. We all know it's great if your team wins. It's terrible if your team loses. But by personal experience, I am here to share with you that your experience of that win or that loss will be magnified if the outcome is not what you expected. Oh my goodness, they won! Can you believe it? They didn't have a chance. We were supposed to win that game. Can't believe they lost that one. About college, I realized that I did not like to be disappointed. So my standard operating procedure when playing pickup basketball was thinking, expecting that I was going to lose. That's the way I figured out it wouldn't hurt so bad. So when I went to the cage, as we called it, and I saw a guy playing, and I was watching him before we had a one-on-one game, I would just say, you know what, I think that guy's going to beat me. Because when we played, and if I did lose, it didn't hurt as bad when I was looking over him going, that guy can barely tie his shoes. I want to run circles around him. And then I lost. You know, a lot of us do this. We keep our expectations low. And it's not just with sports. We manage our life, we manage our hopes by managing our expectations. The problem is that there are all sorts of expectations out there that even if you try to manage them, you can't. They're just too deep, they're too important, they're too great. Expectations about our future, expectations of what we think life ought to look like. Expectations about our singleness, expectations about our marriage, expectations about our children. Those expectations are so profoundly shaping of our perspective that not only are we disappointed when we don't get what we want, but actually we fail to even appreciate the reality that is staring us there in the face. You know, friends, we can be blinded by our expectations. The dad who doesn't recognize the amazing son he has because he's not turning out to be the athlete he expected him to be. The woman who doesn't recognize the amazing man who loves her because the man doesn't fit the model that she created in her own mind. Expectations can blind us to what is right in front of us. I think it's something that happens in all of life, but specifically, I think it also happens with our expectations of God. With the life that we hope for, the life that we expect Him to give us. You know, most of us assume that God will work a certain way 
and that his love will take a certain form. And when it doesn't, we begin to question his love, his mercy, even his existence. It's not a new problem. It's a very old problem. This is the situation that we're going to find ourselves in the Gospel of John. First century people who encounter Jesus with this eyewitness gospel of people that really lived and walked then and knew him. Whether we're talking about people right now or people back then, what if the problem isn't with God? What if the problem is with our expectations? For the wrong expectations can blind us to what is right in front of us. This morning, we're going to do an overview sermon. It's a lot of work. We're going to cover John 5 through 10. If you're our guest, we do overview sermons every now and again for a new unit so that we can get a a big picture perspective of what's going on. Now, if you come back next week, we kind of go back to that verse by verse, slower, kind of more methodical, smaller sections. But if we don't keep the big picture in mind, we can misinterpret the little itty-bitty stories and details and make them say something that they don't say. So right now we're going to do a flyover of John 5 through 10. Don't worry, we're not going to be able to reference every verse, okay? Every chapter even, we're just doing a big picture so that we don't miss the forest for the trees. So here's what we're going to see this morning. Here's the sermon in a nutshell. Jesus did not come to meet your expectations, but God's. For God provides what you need. And what you need is exactly what God provides. Jesus did not come to meet your expectations, but God's. God provides what you need. And what you need is exactly what he provides. Now here's the outline for the copious note takers. A lot of heads go down. Two points for the outline. Okay, Blinded by false expectations. Point one. Point two, breaking free from false expectations. Now, let me just tell you, under point one, there are four subpoints. Those are the only points that are going to get mentioned. You will not hear again, blinded by false expectations or breaking free from false expectations, but you will hear A, B, C, and D under point one. Some of you just need that. Okay, now you can relax. You're like, ah, I know what he's doing. There's not ten points in this sermon. No. All right, so just relax. Those of you that don't take notes are just like, why did he do that? we got to love everybody here, all right? Thank you for just enjoying that. Here we are. Let's journey through John 5 through 10 and notice how people are blinded by false expectations to who Jesus is and what he came to do. We are given four, A, B, C, and D, four popular misconceptions of Jesus. Here's the first. The Jews are blinded by their false expectation of a religious Jesus. Here in John 5, as you have that open in your Bible, the large numbers of the chapters, small numbers of the verses, John 5, you see the Jews are blinded by their false expectation of a religious Jesus. When Jesus heals a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years, it doesn't have the effect that you would expect. There is no celebration that a man got healed. There is only a complaint because Jesus does not line up with their expectations. Look at how Jesus runs into problems with the Jews. Look at verses 9 and 10. John 5, large number, 9 and 10, small number. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed and walk. No celebration. Just a complaint. Because he was healed 
on the Sabbath. And that's breaking the rules. Friends, that's religion at its finest, rule-keeping. And they are the self-appointed religious police, rule-enforcing. And their religion blinds them to their need of a Redeemer. Friends, religion can blind you to your need of a rescue. Because religion can make you think that you are doing God a favor by keeping all of his rules. And rule-keeping has worked pretty well for them until God himself shows up in person. And then Jesus Christ exposes that you can keep all the right rules and not have a right heart. Jesus isn't interested in your religious rules or rituals. He wants to know, do you want to be made well? John 5, 6. Made well, they ask. We don't need to be healed. We should be honored for all of our rule-keeping and rule-enforcing. We don't need a rescue. We should be recognized. And here we see that Jesus did not meet their expectations. For they thought that when the Messiah comes, he will recognize them for their rule-following and rule-enforcing, and that they will usher into the kingdom of God with Jesus. They're the shoe wins to get in. They're the first-round draft picks. Well, I wonder what you expect from God this morning. What do you expect him to do? Do you expect his approval? Do you expect his affirmation? Certainly his encouragement, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, most people who come to church, most people who sit in church buildings think that the solution to being a sinner is sin less, try harder, religion will help. Not depend on Jesus. We tend to think the point of the law is to do good and that God will affirm us in our goodness. Nothing could be further from the truth and nothing could be more offensive to our pride. Jesus came to heal this whole man, to rescue him from the judgment that his sins and our sins deserve. Listen to John 5, verse 14. Scroll down to the page. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Healing the man's sickness is important. Healing the man's sinfulness is ultimate. In other words, the man's health is secondary. The man's holiness is primary. And Jesus is saying, do not miss the rescue because you were expecting recognition. Job well done. My religious friends, Jesus did not come to vindicate us. He came to rescue us. Therefore, admitting that you have not kept all of God's laws is not a step towards judgment. Actually, admitting that you have not kept all of God's laws is a step to salvation. Because God's vindication of you is not based on what you did, but on what Christ has done. God's affirmation of you is not based upon what you do, but on what he did. It is based on the son's obedience to the father's will to bring life 
to whoever trusts in him. Don't miss the rescue, friends, because you were expecting recognition. Jesus did not come to meet your expectations, but God's. Well, what kind of rescue does Christ bring? Turn over to John 6. Look, we're moving. Whole chapter done. Anybody smiling? A couple. Here's our deep breaths. All right. John 6. Jesus feeds the 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. What follows in verses 14 through 15 is that the crowd is blinded by their next false expectation. They expect a political Jesus. John 6, 14 through 15. Find that. Here we go. When the people saw the sign that he, that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. 5,000 men rush at Jesus to make him king. The populace thought Jesus was a revolutionary figure, a political figure to establish a political kingdom over a particular realm by physical force. And so I think the reason why it's recorded that there was 5,000 is because 5,000 men want to take Jesus to Jerusalem during Passover under Roman occupation for a political message and a political move. 5,000 men, let's get you to Jerusalem during Passover. And Jesus will have nothing of it. He's like a bar of soap, slippery, slips right out of their fingers and disappears. It's an issue over and over and over again. Peter, later on, takes up his sword and Jesus rebukes him. Pilate challenges Jesus and Jesus says in John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus has not come to establish a political kingdom through physical means. Aren't you glad that that misconception of Jesus went away in the first century? <laughs> no, what a joke. Nothing has changed. There are all kinds of ministries that say this. Come to Jesus and we will build a better nation. If Jesus is with us, he will keep us safe and secure. And that means we'll be able to get Christians elected Moral laws will be passed, and this will be a Christian thing. The gospel means no such thing. If Jesus is with us, we will be in power and we will not be persecuted. The gospel means no such thing. Our Messiah was executed by the political powers of this world. The eternal life he brings is not of this world. It is better. It is life of heaven itself. It is a life that even the death of our bodies cannot bring to an end. It is a life that is so full and so secure that the horizon of our national history is too near to describe its arc. That's good news. Because our biggest problem is not who is in the White House. Our biggest problem is is the sin that occupies our heart. So beware of how your political desires can blind you to who Jesus is and what he came to do. Beware of how your political desires can distort your understanding of what the Bible says about the identity 
in the mission of the Messiah. Jesus in John chapter 6 is averse to being viewed as someone who acts on behalf of the state to help the social economic status of the Judean countryside. So he preaches a sermon for the rest of John 6 to pop their bubble of false political expectations. In the rest of John 6, he preaches a sermon to make them choose between the primary reason he came and a secondary reason. And the problem that's going to follow is not that Jesus is not plain. Nope, the problem that's going to continue throughout John 5 through 10 is that Jesus does not fit with their expectations. And so they can't stomach his words. Faith family, we must accept Jesus for who he is and not who we want him to be. Don't miss the Redeemer because you're willing to settle for a political ruler. For Jesus did not come to meet our expectations, but God's. Well, what follows in chapter 6, verses 25, excuse me, what follows in verses 25 through 59 is an exchange between the people and Jesus on their next false expectation. Next, the crowd is blinded by their false expectation of a material Jesus. Jesus exposes this false expectation in verse 26. Go ahead and look. John 6, verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They were interested in following Jesus because Jesus met their physical needs. He gave them a free lunch. Is that your Jesus? To get a perfect job, a best spouse, pay your mortgage, pass your exams, make yourself feel better, get a promotion. If that's what you come to Jesus for, then you need to realize that Jesus did not come to fulfill your expectations, but God's. So in verse 27, Jesus tries to move them beyond the temporary to the eternal. Look at 27. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus doesn't feed them again because he knows that they're going to just be hungry the next day. Jesus is going to try to show us that we have a far more pressing need than whatever physical, emotional, financial needs that we consider to be the top priority at this moment. So, faith family, what is your most pressing priority today? Lunch? A free meal? Don't labor for what perishes. Your health, your grades, your job, your leisure, your hobbies. Jesus sees the primary need of every human being to be brought into a right relationship with God and to have eternal life that reaches beyond this life. Faith family, please don't misunderstand Jesus. It is not that Jesus does not care about your health, your social standings, your marriage, your job. No, but you do have a much more greater need. And what you need, God provides. Look at verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
Faith family, Jesus does not have priorities, plural. Jesus has priority, singular. He came for the purpose to offer you life after death. Life distinct from the temporary one that you are living right now. Life eternal. So faith family, please do not make the mistake the crowds made that day. They traded the primary for the secondary. And in so doing, they gave away the very gift he came to offer. Don't miss the Messiah because you were expecting a meal. Don't exchange the primary for the secondary. For Jesus did not come to meet your expectations, but God's. Well, the problem of who is Jesus and why did he come is an equal opportunity problem. In chapter 5, the religious leaders completely miss who he is. Chapter 6, the whole crowd, the populace, miss who he is. Now in chapter 7, his brothers utterly mistake who the Messiah is and what he came to do. In John 7, everyone is preparing for the biggest party. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. Good sermon for that. Listen a while back. Michael Foose preached John 7. It is the Feast of Tabernacles, and anybody that was anybody was there. It is in that context that his brothers urged him to go to the feast. Look at chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. John 7, 3 through 5. Good to hear the pages turning. It will help you stay awake if you keep that Bible open on your lap the whole time. John 7, 3 through 5. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. You know, his brothers were like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Galilee is the backwater. You're in the sticks. What are you doing in Loudoun? I'm sorry, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's what they're asking. You should go to Jerusalem. Because their expectation is that when the Messiah shows up, he's going to be huge. He's going to be a public celebrity. And there is no bigger stage than Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. I wonder if you can relate to Jesus' brothers. You know, if Jesus is the real thing, if he's the Messiah, he'll be popular. I mean, he'll draw massive crowds. He'll want the attention. I mean, that's how we'll know he's legitimate, right? Everyone will want to turn to him. And if they don't, well, maybe he's not, and maybe we shouldn't follow him. Now, you might be here and say, I don't think about Jesus like that. That's fine. That's fair. But I do know this. That is how we judge his church. If the church is doing it right, if the church is the real thing, they'll be drawing huge crowds. And if they don't, if they're persecuted, if they're exiles, if they're small and rejected by our current social context, then maybe they're not worth joining. Maybe I don't want to attend there. Maybe that's where we don't want to be. You know, in an age of social media where we evaluate ourselves and everybody else on how many likes and followers we have, why would we not evaluate God the same way? I wonder what your expectations of who Jesus would be, of who his church would be. 
Do you think that he and his followers are validated by their popularity? You know, if Christianity became a big thing, then I would consider it. Is that the measure of true success? Jesus did not go when his brothers wanted him to go. Because he didn't come to meet their expectations of popularity. He came to meet God's expectations. He came to accomplish God's agenda and to do God's will. And God provides what you need. And what you need is exactly what God provided. So on the last day of the feast, as the feast that commemorates God's provision for what you need in the desert, when the people had ran out of water and they were desperately thirsty, God told Moses to strike a rock. And out of a rock came gushes of water. And the people drank until they were satisfied. God provided what you needed. And what you needed is exactly what God provided. And it is in that context, in verse 37, that Christ says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Father's purpose was to save a people for himself by giving his Son as a substitute for them. Friends, at the right time, Jesus is going to reveal his glory. But it is not going to be by drawing a huge crowd to himself. It is going to be by drawing his last breath on the cross. Friends, Jesus did not come to be popular. He came to die and to give his life as a ransom for you. A despised, rejected, and crucified Messiah is never going to be popular in this world. Christians, a despised, rejected, crucified Messiah is never going to be popular in this world because a crucified Messiah is saying something about who you are. You know what he's saying? He's saying that everything you've gone after to look for life, life to the full, is like drinking salt water. Your religious performance doesn't satisfy. Your political ambitions don't satisfy. Your uh, political power doesn't satisfy. Your material abundance doesn't satisfy. Popularity doesn't satisfy. Jesus didn't come to give you the life you wanted. He came to give you the life you needed. Jesus didn't come to meet you on your terms. He came to give you life. Life on his terms. So faith family, are you willing to break free of your false expectations of who Christ is? Maybe ask yourself this question. Why would you ever expect God to meet you on your terms? His terms are better. Just track with me through the outline again. I want to ask you four questions. Just think through these. Are you ready to give up? the impossibly low expectation that God will simply affirm you in your goodness. How low you have to set that bar to say that God's going to affirm me that I'm good. Give it up. Are, are you willing to give up your false expectation that worldly popularity and success is a proof of his love? 
oh, the way I know that he loves me is by everything goes great in this life. Are you willing to let go of your prideful expectation that you can set the terms with God? Admit your need of him. Set your expectations high. For Jesus will surpass the most outlandish expectations you have because he has first met God's expectations. Through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his eternal intercession for you means that he has met God's expectations that we might be filled with life to the full. In John 10, Jesus gives us life to the full. Jesus has a lot to say about life to the full. I'm running out of time. I'm just going to use four sentences to show you the kind of life that Christ wants to offer you, life to the full. In John 10, four sentences, Christ is going to offer us life to the full because Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who gives life to the full. And we can have this full life because Jesus Christ laid down his life. A full life actually means forgiven life. And because he rose from the grave, our forgiven life means that he can give us eternal life. So John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. How do you picture life? How would you describe life to the full? My non-Christian friend, can life really be to the full if you can't shake your guilt? If you're here as a non-Christian and you picture your best life, can it really be your best life if you can't shake your guilt for whatever you've done, wherever you've fallen short, wherever you feel insecure? Full life has to be a forgiven life. Look at verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Speaking about his crucifixion, his death, to provide forgiveness for you, Jesus gives his life to rescue the sheep from whatever danger they might face, even God. Let me say that again. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep to rescue them from any danger, even God. That's the real thing because all of us like sheep have gone astray. And so we don't deserve to be recognized. We actually deserve to be condemned by God. That's the real danger we all face. And it is the mission for which Jesus was sent to do the will of the Father. Skip down to verses 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge... I receive from my Father. His death provides life to the full, a forgiven life. His resurrection is how he gives life to the full, eternal life. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come to meet your expectations, but God's? How will you respond to Jesus this morning? Faith family, who did you expect? Jesus did not come to be popular. He came to give life by losing his own life. What kind of life did you expect? Your best life now? Why would you expect your best life now? Didn't he say, I am going away? 
And how did he go away? Through a cross. Through a cross. Where did he go? To the right hand of the Father, meeting God's expectations, not ours. And this unexpected Messiah gives you the most unexpected gift, life itself, life to the full, forgiven life for eternal life. Friends, how you relate to somebody depends entirely on who you expect them to be. How you relate to somebody depends on who you expect them to be. And John wants us to see that the Jews rejected Jesus because of who they thought he would be. They were blinded by their false expectations. And so they got so bound up in their false expectations that they actually thought the world would be a better place if we could rid it of Jesus. And they did. Faith family, will you break free from your false expectations to receive true John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to the Jews, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Lose your false expectations and gain someone better. Lose your false expectations and gain something better. For the promises of Jesus are bound up with the person of Jesus. How you relate to him is going to be based upon what you expect him to be and to do. Don't make the same mistake the people of the first century did. Don't allow your false expectations of Jesus to rule you one more day. Here's the good news. Perhaps, like me, till I was in eighth grade, then I really got it probably when I was a senior. Perhaps you've lived 18 years. Perhaps you've lived 40 years with exasperating failure to see who Jesus is and what he came to do. Guess what? You can have done that for 18 years, 40 years, 60 years. Here's the good news. Your failure to see who Jesus is is not ultimate. Jesus is. The healing of the man in John 9 demonstrates this. A lifetime of blindness to who Jesus is and what he came to do is not ultimate. Jesus can break through. All he has to say is, let there be light and the man sees. And today, he can say, let there be light into your heart. And you can see who Jesus is and what he came to do. And you can break free from your false expectations of who you think he is. And be freed to worship him as he really is. Would you ask him now to open your eyes? Soften your heart? That's all you have to pray. God, show me. I want to see you for who you are. Not how I've been clouded and preconditioned to think of who you are. Show me who you are from your scriptures. It's worth your time. The stakes are high. For your opinion of Jesus determines his opinion of you. Your opinion of Jesus determines his opinion of you. Let's pray. Father God, we are begging you to open our eyes to see you for all that you are. Wherever you've gone, you've created division. Some murmured, some argued, some plotted to kill you. And yet we end John chapter 10 with, and many believed. We pray that there'd be many who would believe by dropping their false expectations and worshiping you for who you are and what you said you came to do. We ask all this in Christ's name.
Amen.